Um, I just want to, before we get into the sermon this morning, show you a very quick video just to sort of introduce um, the topic for this morning. If you're listening on podcasts, just for, search for The Ways People Pray on YouTube, or if you want to see that again. And in case you hadn't worked it out already, this morning I want to talk for a few minutes about prayer. And it's the final part of our series, Living Church, a series inspired by Jesus' words as spoken to the church in Sardis and recorded in Revelation where he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but are dead. And our hope, our desire as a church, is that those words would never be said about us. We want to be a living church. We want to be alive to God. We want to be alive to each other and alive to the needs of the world around us. And so that's what we've been exploring together on Sunday morning and in our life groups Uh, since January and we've covered um, quite a lot of stuff already. We began by looking at God's design for his church and in particular we looked at how the early church began at Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2. We've explored worship. We've looked at how worship was central to everything that that early church did and needs to be central to us as well. We talked about the importance of community, particularly for um, encouragement and spiritual growth. We talked about evangelism. How a living church desires other people to hear the good news of Jesus and so reaches beyond itself. Um, We've talked about discipleship, how to become more like Jesus, how we can encourage that growth in each other. we talked about ministry, the many different ways in which we can serve God and serve his church. And last week we spoke about generosity, how a living church is in fact a generous church. And so for the final week... I want to look at something that is perhaps one of the most important and central qualities of a living church. And it's that way because, as James has already said this morning, it underpins everything that we do. And that is prayer. Elvis Presley said, come, let us pray together. Aretha Franklin said a little prayer for you. Bon Jovi was living on a prayer. And MC Hammer needed to pray just to make it today. And Stormzy, I know you know who Stormzy is, all of you, you're nodding in agreement. He won two Brit Awards this week. Guys? No? Okay, fine. Well, his debut album is called Gang Signs and Prayer. So it seems that prayer is everywhere. Thoughts and prayers now seems to be the common condolence that's offered when tragedy strikes, even by those who perhaps have no faith whatsoever. And even in the UK, which is becoming increasingly secular, 40% of adults still admit to praying from time to time. So it seems that there is something in this prayer thing. But how are we to understand prayer? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be the experts, right? Yep, no, yep, good. (laughs) What's the purpose of prayer? For our lives? What's the purpose of prayer for this church and how does prayer help us to become a living church? That's what I want to explore for a few minutes this morning. So I suppose the simplest way that we can put it, the easiest thing to say is that prayer is how we communicate with God. It is the foundation of our relationship. Martin Luther said that to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And the same is true of our relationship with God. Prayer is essential to its vitality. It's dialogue, it's communication. It's about entering into a conversation. 
if I never communicated with my wife, the relationship probably wouldn't last. Probably. <laughs> I don't believe that for a minute. So it's about entering into a conversation. It's about entering into a conversation that we didn't start, and that's really important. Prayer doesn't begin with us. Prayer begins with God. God has already spoken to us through his word. He's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. He's demonstrated his love for us on the cross. And he has revealed his deep, deep desire to be in relationship with us. So first and foremost, our prayers are a response to the love and grace that has been shown to us. The Apostle John writes, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So prayer begins as a response to the invitation that God has made to us and is making to us to be in a relationship with him. It's not about getting things from God so much as it's about getting God himself. Mother Teresa put it this way. She said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God, at his disposition, and listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. It's a deeply personal thing. It's about you and your relationship with God. So the first thing I want to suggest this morning is that prayer is something that begins at home. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us why this is so important. This is what he says in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever experienced prayer envy? Do you ever listen to other people praying and think, wow, gosh, I wish I could pray like them. Their word choice, the eloquence, the way it flows from one subject to the next. Gosh, God must really love it when they pray. Not so much when I pray, but when they pray, I bet he does. Anyone or is that just me? No, okay, just me. It's so much worse, isn't it, when you're in like a small group setting or, or a life group and someone like that prays because you're there thinking... I'm next. You know, how do, what, what can I say? How do I start? Should I call him God? Should I call him Father God? Should I call him Lord? You know, maybe if I stick in a Bible verse, people will think I'm really holy. And then you start to rehearse the prayer in your head. And you think, I'll start there and I'll go and say this. And then just as you've worked out the perfect prayer, somebody else starts and says exactly the same thing that you wanted to say. No. And I suppose the thing is, you know, if we're not careful, our prayers can become a performance that's designed to make us look good, or at least make us look like we know what we're doing. And the purpose of the prayer is forgotten. Now Jesus, of course, here he's talking about those who would purposely look for praise and adoration for their public piousness, not those of us who are perhaps a bit insecure about praying in front of others. But the point that he's making is that genuine prayer isn't about impressing others. 
It's about spending time with our Heavenly Father. Which is why I think prayer begins at home. Because when you're at home, there is no pretense. There is no one to impress. There is, you can say anything, however you want. No need to rehearse or get it right. Christian pastor and author Tim Keller writes this. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it even during times of spiritual dryness when there is no social or experiential payoff. So in other words, private prayer is where we get real with God. Remember those words to the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Just because you perform well in front of others doesn't mean that your relationship is going well behind closed doors. And so Jesus gave this advice to his followers. He said, go into your room, close the door. Begin by making this about you and your relationship with God first. He made this advice, he told his disciples, but he also lived this advice as well. In Matthew 14, verses 22 to 23, we read this. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. What was he praying? We don't know. That was the point. It was about him and his father and no one else. And this is a pattern that we see time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. He deliberately seeks out solitude in order to pray. Luke 5 verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 1 verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We're told that before Jesus chose his disciples, that he went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God, the whole night, just him and God. And private prayer was this essential part of his relationship with God. So if I can just make one really, really simple observation this morning. If Jesus, who was the Son of God, who lived a perfect, sinless life, needed to seek out private time of prayer with his Father, so do we. So how do we do it? Well, I want to just offer you four really quick um, tips on how we can improve our private prayer life. Now, I know that many of you have got this prayer thing down. Um, I'm sure you're far better at it than I am and you've developed your own habits over the years. But these are just four simple things that might help if you're new to the faith and in the process of learning how to include prayer in your life. Um, or perhaps if you've been a Christian for a long time, but this is just an area that you, you struggle with. How do you include prayer day to day? And they're very, very simple. So the first thing is to find a time and a space. Like I said, very simple. There are certain times that work really well and certain times that don't. I have found that if I am at home with my children, there is nowhere I can go where I will not be disturbed and or need to step in to break up a fight. Um, so my best praying happens when the kids are at school or asleep. In the same way, there are certain places that work really well. 
Something I've discovered is that if I try and pray while I'm lying down in my bed, I fall asleep. <laughs> Strange, I know. <laughs> Pastor Bill Hybels tells a story of a man who approached him after church one Sunday and said, I just can't make time for a meeting with God. And Pastor Bill tells him, my experience is that I've always been able to make time for the things I value. He said he didn't hear from the guy for a few months after he said those words to him. Perhaps not surprisingly. But eventually Bill and his wife are invited over to dinner at his home. And when they get there, this guy takes Bill to see a rocking chair that he's placed in front of a window. And he tells Bill that he felt challenged by his words. And so he went out and bought that chair specifically. And that every morning he gets up half an hour earlier to sit on the chair to read his Bible and pray. And Bill said, how's it going? And his wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going. He's a changed guy. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centred, he's more gentle, a more loving man in our marriage and to our children. Okay, do you need some water? Okay. But you see, what impressed Bill the most was that this guy could point to a time and a space that he had created in his life to meet with God. He could show him where it was. And so the challenge for us is, can we, in our lives, point to a time and a space that we have created for God to pray? The second tip is to begin with the Bible. Remember that prayer is a conversation that we didn't start. And sometimes prayer can be feel, feel frustrating because it can feel one-sided. Like we can think, well, God isn't speaking to me here. But often God has spoken and we're the ones who are not listening. Thank you, Joe. As someone once put it, wondering why God isn't speaking to you and then not reading your Bible is like walking around with your phone on airplane mode and wondering why no one is calling you. So open the Bible. Start with God's word. Ask him to speak to you through it. The third tip is to pray a prayer that you know. You've found space, you've found time, you've read your Bible, but how do you start to pray? What words can you use? Well, interestingly, the disciples themselves had the same question for Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, we read this, that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. How do we do it, God? How, what words can we use? How do we start to pray? And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Words that are very familiar to us. I'm sure they form part of the Lord's Prayer. I'm of an age where we used to say it um, in school as we lined up for, for dinner every single day. I'm sure some of you are as well. But they give us a framework that we can use to begin praying. Martin Luther recommended praying these words every day but using fresh words each time. Let me just very quickly whiz through it for you so you can see how this works. It starts with, Father, hallowed be your name. And in that first line, Jesus perfectly holds together the tension between the closeness and familiarity of God and the awesomeness and the majesty of God. God is both a Father who knows us, 
and loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. And yet he is hallowed. That means he's to be revered and honoured. He is Lord over all, perfect, holy and beyond comparison, worthy of our praise. And so when we have it in our mind who we're talking to, it becomes this longing after God's heart, your kingdom come. Not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. We speak a lot about kingdom in this church. We're asking that first and foremost, God would rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives. We're laying down the governance of our own lives, acknowledging that God is our king and that we want to serve him and him alone. Secondly, we're asking for God's power and influence to increase in our world, in our home, in our work, in our town, in our country, in our world. We want those around us to come to see Jesus and submit their lives to God so that we can move closer to the restoration of all things. On another occasion, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be given to you. So after we've sought God's will for our lives and our world, we ask for our needs to be met. Give us each day our daily bread. And as we pray that, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that God is the one that provides in our life. The very breath in our lungs come from him. He is the one who sustains us and he is the one who gives us our tomorrows. James writes in his letter that we do not have because we do not ask. And there's a simple truth in that. Often we forget that God is the one that provides and we go after things in our own strength. So we need to come to a place in our prayers where God is God and we are not. And part of that is this recognition that we're sinful, which is why the next part says, forgive us of our sins. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And when we come to God in prayer, we start to notice that things in our own life are not as they should be. And in fact, you know, going beyond that, sometimes the thing that's preventing us from praying is that there is something in our life that shouldn't be there. That we're holding on to a sin that is stopping us from coming before God. If you've been a Christian a long time, you'll, you'll recognise that. You'll know what that is. And we have a choice, don't we? We can cling to that sin or we can bring it before God and confess it. And it, we're told that he will forgive us because of Jesus. And then, of course, if God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Once we have it in our minds that we're forgiven, we're compelled to do that, to forgive others that have hurt us. And there's freedom in it. Forgiveness is not always easy, but it is freeing. When we don't forgive, we make a choice. We choose to hate, which produces bitterness and anger within us. And it moves us away from God's heart for us, which is where... Jesus ends the prayer, lead us not into temptation. Keep us close to your heart, God. On another occasion, Jesus tells the disciples, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this is a wonderful framework for our prayers. We recognize who God is. We seek his kingdom first and acknowledge his provision for us. We ask forgiveness and commit to forgiving others and we pray for the strength to avoid temptation. It's a great way to start. The fourth tip is to pray what's in your heart. Familiar prayers, they help us to focus on God but prayer is more about, is is so much more than just saying a specific set of words. 
It's about being open and honest with our Heavenly Father. We can tell him how we really feel if we're angry or sad or lost or confused or hurting. As a father, I can tell when my children are not okay. I know when something is upsetting them. And what I want more than anything is for them to come to me and talk to me about what's going on in their lives. Even if I know it's not something that I can immediately change for them or immediately make better, I still want them to know that they can talk to me. In the same way, when they're um, happy, I want them to talk to me so I can share in their joy with them. And I think God is the same. I think God is the same. I'll tell you how most conversations go with my kids. They're they're quite short. You might recognise this if you're a parent. How was school today? Good. Oh, brilliant. What did you get up to? Can't remember. (laughs) And that's it. They're gone. They're on to something else. They've moved on. I just wonder if God is sometimes the same. You know, he's just waiting for us to open up to him, to tell us what's really in our hearts and what's going on, but we've moved on to something else. So a healthy prayer life begins at home. But if we leave prayer at home, then we're making a mistake because prayer should also be our constant companion in life. We should take it everywhere we go. Time and time again, Paul encourages the churches to make prayer a way of life. He writes to the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. To the Ephesians he writes, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. To the Romans he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And to the Thessalonians he simply writes, pray continually. Just do it all the time, be praying, be praying, be praying. And Paul wanted the churches to see that this, this prayer thing was a way of life. We don't leave God at home, but we take him with us wherever we go, whatever we face day to day. As things are tough or stressful, he's there beside us. As we encounter difficulties or challenges, we can turn to him, both for ourselves and for those that we meet. I sometimes feel that that God wants to tell us and show us so much more than we allow him to do in our day-to-day lives. I wonder, you know, if we really started to pray for all of the people that we meet day to day, how God might change our heart for them. What he might say to us <laughs> that ultimately we can pass on to them. Because it's easy, isn't it, I think, just to leave God in church or leave God in life group or in our five minutes at home before we go about our day. And God is saying, I've got so much I want to show you, so much I want you to do for me but let's just keep talking about it, and I can keep telling you about it. And as we come together with other believers, we can pray together as well. Because part of being a living church is that our personal prayer lives are given new power and purpose in the presence of other believers. Part of being a living church is that our personal prayer lives are given new power and purpose in the presence of other believers. You see, Jesus didn't just pray in private, he prayed with his disciples as well. We read in Luke 9, 28, that Jesus took Peter, John and James with him up the mountain to pray. When he gave them that prayer that they could pray, did you notice the words, Our Father, give us our daily bread, lead us not into temptation. It's a great framework for us, but it's a communal prayer. It's a prayer to be prayed together. Because prayer has power in community. 
And this is a pattern that we see in the early church as well. Time and time again through the book of Acts, we read that the church were committed to and unified by prayer. In Acts 1, we're told that all the believers were joined together and constantly in prayer. In Acts 2.42, we've read this verse so much during this series, so I want to read it one more time as we finish it today. It says that they are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Acts 4.24 tells us they raise their voices together in prayer. As important decisions are made, like the one we looked at two weeks ago where they chose the seven to distribute food, they laid hands on them and prayed for them. We read it in chapter um, 12, as the church faced difficulty when Peter is in prison, it says that the church was earnestly praying to God for him. In chapter 13, as they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit told them to send Paul and Barnabas out on mission, and thank goodness he did so the gospel continued to spread. In chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas are appointing elders in the church, it says that they pray and lay hands and fast and commit them to the Lord. When Paul and Silas are in prison in chapter 16, it says around midnight Paul and Silas were sleeping. No, they were praying and singing hymns and the other prisoners were listening. At chapter 20, verse 36, as Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, it says when he had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed again and again and again and again. Prayer underpins everything that the early church did. And if we are truly going to be a living church, we must make sure that prayer is at the heart of everything that we do. Everything. This is why James and Carol have got up this morning and are going to lead us in this and encourage us in this more and more. And they've already shared some of the ways that we're going to be making prayer a priority and I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more from them over the coming months. But I just want to challenge us this morning. We're not going to wait on this, guys. I want to challenge us this morning. Can we make prayer a priority, both at home and as we gather together as a church? As you come into a church on a Sunday morning, what is it that you are praying for? Are you praying that you will meet with God? That the church will meet with God for his presence to be here? Are you praying that no one's nicked your seat? As you worship, you know, you can pray your adoration as well as singing it. There are plenty of gaps. You don't need to wait for the next song to start. As we listen to his word, can we pray that he gives us ears to hear what he's saying to us? Even if it's something different from what we're saying. Can we pray that we respond to the challenges that are made to us? You know, as we mingle and chat after the church and we find out about people's lives and the things that they're facing, can we be bold in saying, let's pray about that together? That sounds really tough. Can I pray with you? It's a really scary thing, isn't it? But there is power in it. And it's not just on a Sunday morning either. What about through the week? I suppose um, one of the easiest ways we can do this is in life groups because it's a regular opportunity to meet together and pray for each other, to uphold each other in prayer. Why not commit to praying for someone in the church and perhaps from time to time meet them and pray together? Or if you're too much of an introvert and that sounds too scary, why not commit to praying for a ministry? Email the, the leaders of that ministry and ask them what it is that they're praying for at the moment. They'll give you a list. If anyone wants to pray for the youth, I've got a, 
I've got a list in my head now. I can tell you all the things that we need prayer for at the moment. But every ministry in this church benefits from the prayers of the church. So can we make prayer a priority together? Prayer begins at home with you and God. It's about your relationship with him. How's that going for you? How is your private prayer life? Can you point to a time and a space that you have made for God? Do you have your rocking chair by the window, so to speak? And if not, can I challenge you this morning to try and find that time and space, to make that a priority? It doesn't stay at home. It's our constant companion. Are we limiting God by only having our little space for prayer at one time or another? Or are we taking about into the world? Are we praying for people as we see them? Are we praying as situations come to us day to day? And there is power in this community through prayer. Jesus says when two or three are gathered in his name, he is here. And he's here this morning as we gather in his name, waiting for us to respond to him. Do we believe that? Are we going to respond to him? I wonder if um, Simon would come and join us back on the stage. You can bring the band if you want. I don't mind. If you're not feeling the solo thing. I don't think it would be appropriate, really, to finish um, this morning with all that we've heard and all that we've thought about without giving over some time for prayer. So I think that's what we're going to do.